Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Come on, it's a good day to be in the house of God. Hey, how many here are excited to receive something from the Word of God today, right? It's a good day. That's why, why we're here to receive what God has for us. And, you know, as we've been looking over, over the Sermon on the Mount of this, this teaching of Jesus to his disciples, they, they, Jesus led his disciples up on the side of this hill, and while he's there, and there's, his disciples are there, he gets a, a few thousand kind of onlookers and people listening in. And this is Jesus who is establishing the culture of his kingdom. And this is so important for us to understand today that as believers, you are brought, when when you are saved, into another kingdom. That you are not of this world. And you might be thinking, well, I already knew that about you, Jason. But the truth is this. It means you, you, you belong to the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean you're weird. It doesn't mean you're, you're strange. It means that Jesus, through his sacrifice, gives you another identity. And this is what Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's letting them know and letting you know today that followers of him, this is the culture of his kingdom. You become a part of his family. And as you become a part of his family, he lays out the purpose and the foundation of his home. And as we've been learning, we've been looking at the first he opened up talking about the attitudes, which we called the Beatitudes. If you're going to, if you are, since you're a part of my kingdom after putting your trust and faith in me, these are the attitudes that I want to be in you. And if you will live these out, you will actually have the life you've always wanted. Then he goes in to talk about our identity as followers of Jesus. You are now salt and you are now light. Now, how many know this? In a world, in our, in our culture, and I'll be honest with you, I cannot think of another time that I've been alive that, that the world is more desperate for a church to actually be salt and light, to shine and to bring glory to God, to be salt, to heal a broken and decaying world. That's today and that's what God invites us into. And Jesus continues to lay the foundation. Last week we looked at how he was speaking and talking about the word of God. He said, I didn't come to, to do away with the word of God. A lot of people think, well, when you get saved, you know, you don't even have to read the Bible. You're saved. That's actually not what Jesus said. He actually said, the word of God is the foundation of my kingdom. That when you become a part of my family, you get to live by the word of God. You get to submit yourself to the word of God. And as you do that, you will actually live the life you've always wanted to live. A a life that's satisfying. Some people think, well, Jason, you know, that's not Jesus came to set us free. Yet, and so we think, so I can do whatever I want. And so we are, we, are, we are drawn into doing things. We are seduced by, actually, we think this, you know what? I know what would really make me live the life. Because I've, I've always wanted to do this. And so here's the truth. Nobody has ever said in their life, you know what? Since I've started drinking, I have made better decisions. Since I've started drinking more, my decisions have been better. Nobody says that. But you thought it was leading you to a life that you wanted until you actually leaned into that and, made, and started drinking more and getting drunk. You, you, you thought actually on the other side of this, this isn't what I wanted. 
Or maybe you thought, you know, the life I want is I, I, I need more relationships. And so then maybe you, you, you go and you have sex with, with multiple people and, and you're, you're just, this is the life I wanted. And then when you're in it, you're like, this life is empty and broken and I'm hurting. The Lord has given us the word of God that as we align our lives to it and submit under it, not condemned by it, but understanding that it is his power in me that helps me to obey this. When we begin to live that life, all of a sudden, then we, we come on the other side and say, you know what? This is the life I want. This is, this is, I have joy. I have peace in my home. I have peace in my heart. This is the, this is the life I wanted. I'm not a slave to some substance. I'm not a slave to my flesh. This is the life I've wanted. Why would Jesus do that? Because many people think Christianity is about all these rules. No, it's not. It's about freedom. And here's the truth. The culture of the world seduces you and you think you're chasing life, but you end up dying. The culture of the kingdom, you die to your flesh and you end up living life. And the word of God helps us to do that. So this is what Jesus is continuing. He elevated the word of God in our lives. And today he's talking about some things that actually are very shocking. They're very shocking. But this is what I really believe. See, Jesus came to give you freedom. And today Jesus wants to break chains off of your mind, off of your spirit, off of how you see him, and even off of how you see the word of God. Some of you who struggle in this particular area that I'm going to talk about in just a moment, when I start talking about the word of God being the standard, you immediately feel defeated. You immediately feel like you're not enough. And then the other side, some of you are like, that's right, you tell them. Tell them how bad they are. And that's the other side that we're going to talk about today. Jesus comes on the scene and begins to teach us what it means to be a disciple, a follower of him. Jesus is cultivating his culture and for us as a church and for us as believers and us as followers of Jesus that this is my culture. This is how I want you to live. This is what I'm inviting you into. Actually, this is your identity that I've changed. And so now, how do we live this out together? So today, I just want you to imagine yourself hanging with Jesus. I want you to imagine Jesus not speaking to someone else and you listening in. I want you to imagine today Jesus talking to you. The heart of Jesus. He speaks and everything he teaches is because he loves you. It's because he cares for you. It's because his heart for you is to see you actually live a life that brings you joy. And so today, as we lean in and listen, we're going to listen to his voice. We're going to listen to that now that you are a follower of Jesus. Remember, this teaching was not about how do you come into the kingdom. This is about what you're in my kingdom. This is how I'm going to help you live. These are the principles on how you are to live. And so he has rescued us from a kingdom of darkness, if you put your faith in Christ. He's brought us into his kingdom of light. He's made us a part of his family, as children of God. And so now we're coming to this next statement that's actually shocking and hard to understand. It's a hard pill. Once you, once you read it on the surface, it seems very, very difficult. And maybe even on the surface, when I read it in just a moment, you're going to say, yep, that's, that's the God that I have in my mind. But I believe God wants to minister to you today. 
And so as Jesus is teaching, he then, after he talked about how the word of God is foundational in the lives of us as believers, he then makes this statement. And he says this, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were the, the ones who, who it, they lived, they seemed to live the law perfectly. And so for those who were listening to Jesus, they're thinking, yep, this is what I thought God was like, always demanding more, always telling me I'm not enough. See, you're not enough. You need to be like that person. You need to be like that teacher. But is that really what Jesus is saying? Some people have even used this verse to affirm their wrong belief in God, that, that you are never enough. See, Jesus said, unless you surpass, not just live up to, but surpass the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you won't go to heaven. That's shocking. For those listening there that day, they're, they're shocked. And they're like, yeah, I'm terrible. I know that. Thanks, Jesus. But is that really what Jesus is saying? Remember the Sermon on the Mount is principle after principle of what it means to be in the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. And the things that this, this statement here is shocking. The things that Jesus says are shocking to the human system. We don't get it. We don't understand it. It just shocks us. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was shocking us. He was revealing a belief of him that the people listening had, but some of us have as well. And so this is what he, he's saying to us today, and he's, he's revealing something. So uh, let me just, if you were living in those days, to understand a little bit of the Pharisees and the, and the teachers, the, the, they were the religious elite. They were the, they were the top of the top. They were the ones that, that when they, they were so respected, when they walked down the, the, the road, people would get out of their way because they're righteous and they're, they're the ones that, that follow the law perfectly and, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm less than them and I, I can't ever measure up and, and nothing in their, in their culture. I mean, no one was more put together than these Pharisees and teachers of the law. They, they had it all. There was nothing more pious than a Pharisee. They walked very, very dignified. They, they, it's how they carried themselves and they had flowing robes and loud prayers that, that, just, that just made them look really good. Even when they would come into the temple to give their offering, you know, it, it's, it's similar to this. Instead of, let's say, giving, giving cash or giving something, they would, they would bring coins in and they would, they would put in the offering tin something that would make a lot of noise and they'd drop it slowly. Tink, 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 tink. And then they'd be like, that's right, I just gave money. It was all about what they did. And everyone saw it, and I'll never be like that one. I'll never be like the Pharisees. Even their clothes showed that they were better than everybody else. They were more holy than the rest of the, the common folk. And Jesus says, unless you're better than them, you won't go to heaven. 
The deal is this. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they put all of their emphasis, all of their, everything they lived their life for was on the external, was about the outside. They conducted themselves publicly, always seeming to elevate themselves or their agenda to a place that was unattainable. And then they demanded other people strive to, but they reminded them, you'll never get there. They just acted and walked as though they were better than everybody else. They knew more than everybody else and they really were the righteous ones. And then I will, I will grace you with my presence, but not for very long because I'm really righteous. Anybody know anybody like that? Don't point to them, but do you know anyone like that? <laughs> the Pharisees seemed perfect. They used words and gave prayers and they made themselves look good, but made other people feel guilty and look bad. On the outward appearance, they, were, they seemed like they had it all together. They walked as though they were perfect. But the issue is this, that they follow the letter of the law, of the Bible, but they didn't possess the spirit of it. See, you can know the principles of the Bible, but be void of knowing the prince of the Bible. You can know the, the, the words of the Bible, but actually not know the heart and spirit of the author of the Bible. And the Bible without the Spirit leads to death. So what is Jesus saying, though, when he's saying, no, no, you need to be better than them? What is he saying? I mean, is that really what he's saying? For some of us, that's, yes, that's what he's saying. He says, you better work harder. Another way of, of maybe saying how the Pharisees lived out their faith is, they obeyed the Bible publicly to feed their ego and make their name great instead of making God's name great through their lives. In everyone's eyes, they were righteous, but it was only skin deep. Verse 19, Jesus, we, we looked at it last week, Jesus is teaching us that in his kingdom we're to live under the authority of scripture. But in this verse, verse 20, you know what he's doing? He's warning us about legalism. He's warning us about this term legalism. Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses theirs, you won't make it to heaven. Well, listen, then what is he talking about? Then what does that mean? So how about this? If we have to do better than the Pharisees, we need to find out what the righteousness is like, right? So if, if he said, unless you jump higher than this, you won't go to heaven. We better, we got to find out what this is. And so Jesus actually explains the righteousness. He explains what I, needed to, what I need to surpass. He explains what I need to do better than the Pharisees. And so he also tells us about their righteousness. So what is their righteousness? Matthew 23, this is Jesus talking. He says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. It doesn't seem like Jesus sees their righteousness as very good actually. You hypocrites. 
You clean the outside of the cup, the dish, and he's talking about themselves, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. That's the righteousness he's talking about. Then he goes on to say this in the, in the next verse out of, uh, in Matthew. He says, blind Pharisees. He's like, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. What is Jesus saying? He's given it to him, though. So he said, your righteousness has to surpass the Pharisees, and this is how he explains their righteousness. And then Jesus gives this graphic word picture of the substance of the Pharisees' righteousness. Now listen for me, <laughs> when I'm reading this and knowing the historical background of the Pharisees, I'm like, say it again, Jesus. Tell them, tell them. Let them have it. They were pressing people down with their, with their lofty ideas. And that's why, and, and the teaching of the Pharisees and the teachings then used to be called a yoke. It was the yoke. It was the teaching that you, you were, it, it was symbolic. You would, you would say, yes, I'm under the yoke of this Pharisee or this rabbi or this type of teaching. In other words, it's what you carried. But when Jesus starts talking about his yoke, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So for them to hear that, they're thinking, yes, what do you mean easy? Because, man, I'm carrying this thing. I'm trying to be like the Pharisees. I'm never measuring up. What is Jesus saying? Well, then he, he explains again of the righteousness of the Pharisees. And he says in 27 through 28, just, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now, now he goes, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of rotten bones of the dead, and everything is unclean. In other words, Jesus is saying, you stink. You're nasty. You're filthy. You look good. But man, if we cut you open, you are dead. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy, and wickedness. Why would Jesus say, I want your righteousness to be, this to me, well, I, what's he doing? What is Jesus saying? And this is, this is what I want to touch on today is, is this. He's saying your right standing, which is your righteousness. Righteousness means your right standing before God. Your right standing before God is achieved from the inside out, not from the outside in. The Pharisees were guilty of the term legalism. And legalism is a very real thing today. It's real. It's real in the church. It's real it's, it's real today. And the term legalism just means I can... I can become righteous before God in my own strength, in my own flesh, by my own works, by doing the right things, I can attain righteousness before God. I can just walk into God's kingdom and just kick the door in and say, hey, I'm here, I'm righteous, I've done all the right things, I've checked all the boxes, look how good I am. And Jesus is saying, uh-uh. 
And so this idea of legalism in our lives is real. I, I want to just briefly look at legalism for a second. And I want to talk to you about the lies of legalism because what happens is when, when, we, when we follow Jesus, we start kind of shifting our own little world. So some, some lies about legalism. The first one is this. Your good deeds make up for your bad deeds. Meaning, you know what? I, I blew it two times. I need to do four good things in order to cover up the two bad things. And it's, it's a wash. It's equal. See, we're good. Good. And I do that. That's what the lies of legalism tell us. Also says God's love towards you fluctuates depending on your faithfulness. So at the end of the day, you check all your boxes. You're like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, good. had a good day. And God loves me at the level 10. But also at when you stumble, when you fall, when you make a mistake, when you, when you push the line and you, you don't know why you did and you know it, you then realize actually it's a two today. God's love is different today because I didn't measure up. I didn't meet, meet the mark. I, I, I didn't check all the boxes. Therefore, God's love is less than. Another lie of legalism is that if you really love God, you must live by religious rules that are not even in the Bible. You just make stuff up. You just add them. You just, you just do them. Because that's, that's what you do. Because real Christians outwork what God has laid out in his word. Real Christians check all the boxes and then make up more to check. And when I do that, then I'm righteous. Those are the lies of legalism. Growing up, it was, it was like, I grew up in a small town, but there, there was this particular denomination that... Um, you know, you, you weren't supposed to wear shorts. Now, a, a legalist always finds loopholes. But I remember those who you couldn't wear shorts in your normal day life. But if you went on vacation, you could wear shorts on vacation. I don't understand. Legalism. Or, or you can't go to movie theaters. No, don't you go there. What if Jesus returns? He won't take you if you're there. Because they play bad movies there. But I could watch movies at home. And it was these, these extra rules. And they're added on. Or, or you, you, you can't wear this and you can't do this. And you can't have long hair. You can't have short hair. It, we put rules and we think, uh-uh, this is what it should be. Where's that in the Bible? It's not. But that's the way it is. What is it? It's legalism. And legalist, even when I'm talking, your skin begins to crawl. For the lie of legalism says this, your outside image also is more important than your inside condition. Everything is focused on the external. Also, when you believe the lie of legalism, you think your job also is to make people feel like they can never measure up to you. And so you criticize them all the time. If you, if you struggle and believe the lie of legalism, you, you add things even to, to, even to me, you add things. 
Can you believe he wore a jean jacket on the stage of God's house? Can, I cannot, did you see the guitar player? He had a hat on in church. Did you, can you believe that? If they were Jewish, you'd be fine with it. But because they're Gentile, it's all right. God, you can't do that. I mean, when you come to church, you've got to honor God. You gotta, if you're not doing it, oh, you, you, you're not honoring God. Where's that in the Bible? It's not. Or growing up, there was this one as well. It was, it was um, and, and I understand this is a sensitive subject. You know, it was, uh, if, if you're a Christian and you were to have a sip of wine, you're going to hell. And then you realize, I think Jesus is going to be there too, because I think he <laughs> drink wine. Why? Legalism. And I understand, I understand there, there are things that we have to, that when you come to Christ, he gives you his spirit and you can, you become, the fruit of the spirit is self-control. So if a particular area or, or an addiction because of our fallen flesh, then get, get it out of your life. Do it, do it. To the glory of God, do it. But what happens is we, we, we add things and then we base our righteousness off of the things we've added. Jesus is saying, uh-uh. That's not what righteousness is about. There's also other sides of legalism. But one of the things I'll get to in a moment, if you believe the lie of legalism, people in your life who don't know Jesus, you think you need to shame them in order to getting to know him, except for scripture says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Or struggle with legalism, we want to change the behavior of a fallen, broken world before ever sharing the gospel with them, that actually can transform their hearts. A legalist spends their, their time chasing all the, all the bad people around instead of serving people from a transformed heart to be kind to the hurting, to the broken. Legalism says I'm loved by what I do. My value comes by what I do. My identity comes by, from what I do. Also, then there's the other side. Legalism always makes us feel like I'm not enough. I'm not praying enough. Things that go wrong in my life, it's because of me. Because I'm not enough. Legalism elevates. What happens when you believe the lie? You elevate your view of yourself over God's view of you. Meaning, you're, you're hard on yourself. You condemn yourself. And then when someone tries to tell you about how God sees you, you reject it and believe you because you've just ran through your list and you, and you, check, you didn't check the boxes off. You failed, so therefore you condemn yourself. Really, the common denominator of those steeped in legalism is the same thing for those who think they're better than everybody else and those who think you're worse than everybody else because of your list. Is this... One thing, pride. Pride says everything is about me. And there are two sides of pride in the issue of legalism. One says, pride says, I can attain righteousness in my own strength. I want to make sure that people see me, how righteous I am for my glory, and I have a high view of myself because of me. But pride also can go the other way. It still says it's all about me, though. 
It says, my righteousness is about me, and because I've failed, therefore I can't be righteous because it's about me. It's not about Jesus, it's about me. Pride brings everything back to me. When you're always thinking about what you're not, that's pride because you're focused on me. You walk into a room and you think everything, here's, here's one sign. You walk into a room and you think everybody thinks you're bad. Why is that prideful? Because you think everybody's thinking about you. When you have a conversation, you lead that conversation, you rehearse everything about what you said, how you said it, what you did, your body language. And when you come to, come to church, you have a rolling narrative in your mind about what you're not. That is the other side of the coin of pride. From a conversation, you're rehearsing you. In the conversation, you're thinking about you. And it's a, it's a tricky trick of the devil that gets us to go that direction. Legalism is about also, you want to flip on the other side, it's about me praising myself for my actions, but also it's about me degrading myself because of my actions. That, though, in the kingdom of God. Let's do, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, no, no, for my kids, in my house, in my kingdom, that is not to be. Because our righteousness, my friends, who you are, is not about me. It's about Jesus. That's why Jesus, the scripture says that Christ clothed us in his righteousness. His righteousness. I mean, we, we got nothing in us that can offer God. We got no, nothing qualifies us to be righteous. That's why in our faith in Christ, Jesus clothes us in his righteousness. When God sees me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Well, I don't feel righteous, Jason. It doesn't matter. God has declared you righteous, therefore you are. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why the legalism, the legalists don't like it. It's the gospel plus Gospel plus this, gospel plus works really saves you. Gospel plus this really saves you. It's the gospel plus nothing that equals everything. It's the gospel. And just as legalism was active then, it is active today. And Jesus says, that is not real life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give you life to the fullest. That is not the life that I have for you. And there are Christians, maybe you're here today or you're watching online and, and you, this is, you struggle massively with this. There are Christians who believe after you come to Jesus, unless you do certain things, unless you act more spiritual, unless you, 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 you're always increasing in your duties and your sacrifice more, that you are in trouble with God. And they even question if they're saved. Because as they measure and they say, oh no, I haven't done this enough, I haven't prayed enough, I, haven't, I don't even know if I'm saved. Something you need to know today is that you cannot be saved or made, made righteous by your own obedience. You can't. Now we know that. 
right? That's what we give our lives to Jesus because we're like, I need you. And so by faith, we, we receive his righteousness. We receive his salvation to us. He gives it to us. But hear me today. Just as you can't be saved or righteous in your own efforts, you cannot keep your salvation and your righteousness by your obedience and efforts either. Your salvation didn't come from you. And your righteousness didn't come from you. Therefore, your salvation will not be kept by you, nor will your righteousness be kept by you. It will be kept by God because he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And what I'm explaining to you today is what is called the grace of God. The grace of God... Scripture is clear. It, it isn't given to us so we can keep sinning. No, no. It's, giving, it's given to us so it can transform our hearts and we can live our lives from the inside out. The Lord doesn't want you to think you have to keep your right standing before God. By your own efforts, when Jesus taught this to his disciples, when he said, unless your righteousness surpasses, is more than, is greater than those of the Pharisees, you won't go to heaven. He wasn't talking about beating the Pharisees at their own game. He's talking about an absolutely, totally different type of righteousness altogether. He's not comparing apples to apples. He's comparing apples to airplanes. Totally different. He's talking about something totally different. Jesus is not saying we need to be more righteous by our human efforts. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is we need our hearts to be made righteous by his divine grace. And when he transforms our hearts, our then our actions begin to change. Jesus is not saying we need to study harder to get a better grade on our righteousness test or holiness test. He's saying we must allow our hearts to be transformed and changed and cleansed and, do, and to be made righteous doesn't point to our score. It doesn't point to our grade well, you got this or you got that. I'm sorry. It points our righteousness. Points to the incredible graciousness and kindness of God. Who sent his son to ransom you. Because you had nothing to ransom yourself. And then when you put your trust in the work that he did on the cross and through his resurrection. He brought you into his family. And you became clothed in his righteousness. And Jesus said that our righteousness must be greater than the Pharisees. He wasn't saying we need a righteousness that is about our hands. He was saying you need a righteousness that's beyond external efforts. And the surpassing righteousness is only possible by God's gift and God's grace of a brand new heart. A transformed, transformed heart that only can come through him. That's the basis and foundation of his kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount isn't do more. 
Have a better attitude. Be salt and light. You better be salt and light. If you're not, I'm going to be mad. No, no, no. It's that he has transformed us by his grace and given us the fruit of the spirit that allows us to have the right attitude. He's given us the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit that we could be salt and light. He's given us the grace that freaks us out and overwhelms us because as humans, everything we, everything we, we, we put value on everything we can only see with our eyes. And God gives us a new heart in his kingdom. And that new heart gives, given by Jesus was purchased by Jesus. And as you give your heart to him, he, is, he, he creates a new people. Jesus is talking about after his resurrection, he's going to create a new people. You and I with new hearts. New affections, new attitudes, bringing us from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of his light. In the kingdom of God, through Jesus Christ. Here's the other thing, is he, as we serve him, he gives us grace in the process. He gives us grace to be conformed into the image of Christ. He gives us grace that when I stumble and when I fall, he meets me, he picks me up, and he continues to walk with me in my journey with God. You don't go from, from I, I, I made a mistake, you're out of the family, and then you make it up by doing something good. Oh, you're back in the family. You have been redeemed. You've been saved. You've been sanctified. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. It is sealed. The deal is done. You are saved. Now, let his spirit transform us us and live the life he's called us to live. So how do you surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees? You allow the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel to go deeper than the surface and transform your heart. How do you, how do you surpass the righteousness of, of, of the Pharisees? You go beyond the work of the hands and you allow God to work on your heart. It means you elevate Jesus. You elevate the opinion of Jesus and the work of Jesus over your good days, over your bad days. And when, when you become aware and overwhelmed by his grace and you realize it is only by God's grace, when you see yourself as poor in spirit and you acknowledge, I, I've got nothing, I am totally depraved. I have nothing to give God of any good, of any righteousness whatsoever. When you do that, when you submit to his grace, then the overwhelming gratitude fills your heart and you realize he saved me because he loves me. He saved me because he saw you. He saved you because you couldn't live life without him. He saved you because he wanted to give you a life that actually was worth living. And when you're overwhelmed by the reality that he saved me, he called me, he loves me. Once you see it, it's the irresistible grace of God. It just You just say, oh God, then out of this heart of gratitude, I want to obey your word. But here's the beauty of, of God. It's, it's, it, we're, we are much like the, 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 the guy in the Bible that said, yes, Jesus, I believe in you, but can you help me to believe? Yes, Jesus, I, I believe in you. Can you help me to obey the word? Yes, I know it's the word of God. Can you help me to obey it? It is the grace of God. That's the good news 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news. People many times following Jesus, what can I be, what can I do to be more sold out for Jesus? I just want to be, I'm, I want to be all in. And that's the, that's the right spirit. But if we were to ask Jesus that, what would he say? Because many times that we're, that's steeped in this idea from humans or Americans. We, it's got to be something I can see. Well, Jesus would say this as he did in Matthew 6, He says, okay, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not your righteousness. Seek his righteousness. Lord, I need your righteousness today. Lord, I need your righteousness on my mind, on my emotions, on my, on my flesh. Lord, I need your righteousness. Seek his righteousness. Jesus is saying you're not to seek to achieve your own righteousness. You can't do it by your behavior. You can't do it by your performance. You're to seek God's righteousness that's been provided to you through the work of Jesus Christ. What I love about the Apostle Paul is he lived an incredible life. God used him to just do incredible stuff. Saw miracles and preached the gospel. I mean, if anybody had, had, I mean, next to Jesus, if anybody had, you know, something that he could you know, write home about, it would be Paul. But even as he's contemplating his life, he's, man, what a wretched man I am. What was he doing? He, that, is, that, is, that is the definition of being poor in spirit. But he wasn't saying how bad I am, I'm terrible he was talking about the things that he sees in his own life. He goes, man, I, I, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. What a wretched dude I am. But then in that same tone, it shifts. And he talks about the grace of God. In 2 Corinthians, he explains Paul's righteousness. He says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for me, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Philippians 3.8, Paul still speaking here, writing, he says, I am found in him, not having righteousness on my own that comes from the law. In other words, my righteousness does not come from my exact obedience like the Pharisees. They think it does, but they're full of death. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, the right standing before God that comes from God on the basis of faith. Think of the person for you that is the most righteous person. Person who responds in the right spirit, the right heart. When I think of a person like that, I think of our friend who's gone on to be with the Lord, Russ Phrase. I traveled with him around the world. His spirit, his attitude, he never spoke ill of another person in my presence. Not once, I've known him for 20 years. I think of him, I think, okay, wow, he was doing this and doing this and did this and, and I see all the great works that he was able to do. You think of someone for you that you're just like, when I think of them, they always responded in the right attitude, right spirit. Perfect, seem to be perfect in their actions. 
What Jesus is saying is when you see someone like that, you're not to pursue mimicking their behavior. You're to pursue the surrender that they have, that they have done that's transformed their heart that has brought forth the manifestation of their lives and of their works. You're not to pursue the, the, the actions of other people. You're to pursue the submission and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ that they had to have in order to have that in their lives. That's what God is inviting us to, surrendering our lives to Him. You don't you don't earn righteousness or favor with God through your actions. You earn it through your surrender to his heart, to his will for you, the areas of brokenness in your life. And through that, your actions begin to reflect the work he's done in your heart. Legalism says it's from the outside in. The gospel of Jesus Christ says it's from the inside out. That is what Jesus is establishing in his kingdom for us as believers. Why is he telling the disciples this? Well, they're going to go to, to nations that are all over. They're going to see some difficult, horrible people. And they're not to ride into town and be like, hey, listen, clean your life up. Do this. Change this. Don't wear a hat in church. They're not going to say that. I'm just kidding. They, they're not going to do that. They're going to come in and say, hey, I want to tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ that wants to transform your heart, that wants to, that's, wants to do something inside of you, that without it, you're lost. Without, you think you're living life now, but come on, let's be honest. You're empty. You're broken. At the, when you lay your head on the pillow at night, you're, you're missing something. You're trying to find it by, by the, these works and these things. And listen, I want to tell you about someone who came to give you a brand new heart, who came to heal your mind, who came to restore your emotions, who came to, to give you a new heart, which is the, the, the motivation of your life. And from that new heart, you're going to then begin to walk out what the word says you're to walk out. That is, that Jesus was so concerned about the heart first, the heart first. And then as a believer, as, as, if, I, if I'm been transformed by Jesus, I want to obey his word. I want to follow, I want to live a life that brings honor and glory to him. I wanna do that. But then I'm also confronted very quickly. I don't have the ability to do that. So Jesus, can you help me? This is the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ that can transform you, that can change you. Imagine the gospel of Jesus Christ being unleashed in your family and your relationships. That we would stop praying for people's behavior to change and we'd start praying that the Lord Jesus Christ would reach out to them, would share the gospel with them. Here he brings someone along that you'd have the opportunity to minister to them. We'd stop keeping people at a distance that, that weren't like us because, ooh, you're yucky. Clean yourself up and then I'll talk to you. We actually, as Jesus so loved the world that he came to our mess. 
He came to our broken lives. He came to, to your mind that's riddled with, with just lust. He came to your, to, to your unfaithfulness to your spouse. He came to your addiction to substances. He came to your, your, your you knowing that, that you are broken. He came to your pain. He came to your, your moments of desperation. He came to your suicidal thoughts. He came to our desperate situation to give us his love. He didn't keep us at a distance. He came to where we are for the purpose of giving us a new heart. And he made the way. That is to be our attitude with those who don't know him. And it's also for us to remind ourselves, we were once the ones who didn't know Jesus. And he came to us. The Lord wants to break this curse of legalism off your life. Stop doing the checklist and start saying, Lord, I surrender my life to you today. I love you and help me to serve you. Help me to bring glory to you through my new heart. Help me to obey the word through my new heart. This is not about performance. It's about surrender. And the more you surrender, the more you will manifest the word of God. And the more that you are in the word of God as an act of surrender, the more that God will give you the strength to obey it. We serve a good God who isn't worried about this righteousness of our hands. He's worried about this. And then this will follow as we follow him and read his word. Let me pray for you today. Father, thank you for your word that speaks to us. Thank you, Lord, for just the simplicity of the gospel that wrecks us, that shakes us, that challenges us. Lord, I know every one of us in this room is guilty of some type of legalism. Somehow we have measured your love to us based off of us. Some of us have always been under this cloud of shame and focus on me. We're always looking at our behavior and condemning ourselves because, it, because we fall short. And therefore, we keep ourselves at a distance. Lord, today, forgive us of our legalism. Lord, today, we surrender our lives to you. Today, we don't try to fix our hearts by doing better. We surrender our hearts to you. And you will meet us here today. Lord, I know there are people who are hurting here today, who have been in bondage of legalism, bondage of performance-based relationship with God. Lord, remove every lie. Remove every false thought about themselves, whether that they're good enough or that they're not good enough. Both are false. It is only you that we can receive a righteousness. And from that righteousness, you will empower us through the Holy Spirit to obey your word. Transform us today from the inside out. Lord, I pray for families that where there is 
legalism in the home. And Lord, out of our desire to be good parents, we have over, we have applied the law of God and not the spirit in the word. We have applied principles without the character and nature of the prince. Lord, give us the balance of disciplining. Give us the balance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, show us how to parent our children's hearts, not their behavior. Lord, for us today who have been hurt by church because of legalism, because we've been pushed away, because the church condemned us or shamed us. Lord, heal our hearts. Lord, that was me. Lord, help us see the grace of God that we can declare as David did, God, where can I go that you aren't there? From the lowest of lows into the highest of highs, you are there. So God, today we submit our hearts to you. God, for every teenager that is caught between a decision and what they are to make and what they are to do, Lord, give them the strength by the grace of God to flow from their transformed heart. Lord, for a young adult, Lord, that is struggling with how you see them, God, today, pull back every lie, every lie of behavior-based gospel, and may they receive the gospel of Jesus Christ that delivers them and sets them free so that they can follow you with your strength. God, today we just submit our lives to you, and we are grateful for the good news that transforms us. Thank you, Lord, for far exceeding, outseeding, exceeding the righteousness of the Pharisees and transforming our hearts and giving us your righteousness. We love you and we thank you today. Just remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If you're here today and you'd say, Jason, I don't know Christ and I, I don't have a new heart and I need one. I am so fed up with the life that I'm living and I can't stop living it. If that's you today, and you want to give your life to Jesus, whether online or live, right where you are, nobody's looking around, raise your hand right now as a step. God bless you, thank you. Just raise it up before the Lord. Anyone you wanna give your life to Jesus, God bless you, thank you, thank you. You can put your hands down, thank you. The Lord sees you. He knows your name. He's been waiting to save you. You are why he came. You are. And he loves you. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth what Jesus did and who he is and put your faith and trust in him and you receive the work of the cross in your life that you will be saved. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and we're all going to pray together. 
And if you will pray this and put your faith in Christ, you will be saved. Let's all pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I am a sinner and I need you to cleanse me. Forgive me. Give me a new heart. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe it because you're drawing me near to you right now. I give you my life. I belong to you now. Transform me. Lead me. Heal me. And with your help, I will follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for making me a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand today. Amen. If you gave your life to Jesus today, there's a a card right in front of you. And you can fill that out. Just check the box. Give us your, your information. We'd love to have the honor to walk with you on your journey as we walk it all together. And when you leave, you can drop it in the white buckets. Also, if you have a prayer request, you can write it on that same card and drop it when you leave, and we'd be honored to pray for you. Let's all stand to our feet. And I just, if you'd allow me to, I'd love to pray for you. And just bless your family quickly before we leave. And so just as a response to the Lord, just lift your hands to receive. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray for your blessing over every family and every life that's here. God, I ask you that you would protect them, that you would keep them. Lord, I ask you that you would heal their hearts. Lord, I ask you that you would turn their hearts to you, that they would receive a fresh revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it not only would transform them, that it would make its way deep into their homes. God, heal relationships between moms and dads and moms and and children and dads and children. And God, heal the hearts of young adults that have been hurt deeply by other people and have been betrayed and have made mistakes and gone too far. God, I ask you today, heal them and rescue them in the name of Jesus. Let them sense your love. And God, I pray that you would protect us physically, protect them, keep them, let your spirit be around them. And Lord, today, I bind every strategy of the enemy over their life, over their finances, over their health, and over their home. In Jesus' name, we pray. We all say amen and amen. God bless you guys. I love you.